Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I would literally walk in my door that, that, that would be my entrance for that day and stand in the middle of my room or stand in the middle of my bar and just commune with my space, you know? It's like that kind yeah. of spiritual connection, if you will. My name is Anna Silk. For six seasons, I played Bo on the hit TV series, Lost Girl. I am so happy you are here for the Lost Girl Rewatch podcast to take a trip down memory lane with me, the amazing cast, and some very special guests. I'm so glad to finally be able to say the family is back together again. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Lost Girl Rewatch podcast where we are so excited because we love the response so far. Um, We really feel the outpouring of love, which frankly, we have felt for this show from the very beginning of Lost Girl time. Um, We know these characters have inspired you guys so much so that you guys inspired us to do this podcast. So we're so thrilled to be here today. Um, And I am thrilled once again to introduce my co-host for today. You know him. You love him. The fabulous Rick Howland. Yay. Hi, Rick. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. Um, For anyone listening, if you go over to the YouTube, you'll see... Uh, that Rick and I are really in the winter LA's LA's finest <laughs> winter mode. Um, not LA's finest, like cops. But um, whenever it's cold here, as you can see in the background, it is rainy and cold here today. I am in a winter sweater, and Rick is in a hat. So there you go. We're in our in our finest and long winter uniforms and long sleeves. Yeah. I know because how dare we be chilly? <laughs> I know. Um, well, well welcome everybody. We, yes, we are here to talk about season one, episode nine, titled Fade. It was written by Jeremy Boxen and directed by Steve DeMarco. Um, Rick, how did you feel watching this episode and what were your first impressions? Uh, it, was, uh, it was really interesting. It's Lush O'Shane. It's Lush O'Shane. <laughs> like, <laughs> that was my, the whole thing through the entire episode was tricks like, no, it's not Faye Day. It's Lush O'Shane. Don't I call know, it I that. It's not a party. Tricks. I love Trick's um, enthusiasm for Lush O'Shane. <laughs> it was yeah. so great. Yeah. The honor of uh, his honor of, of, uh, of the traditions. Um, 
Yeah, no, it was funny because I, I like I, I I chuckled a couple of times in that very first scene, just like you know it predicts death, and it's like those those moments of like how much weight you have to put on something that is com- you know completely mythological, you know within the mythology of this of the show and everything else, but from an actor's perspective of like. <sighs> Okay, this is really heavy stuff. Like when, when a uh, what a, 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 a siren calls, and it's like, uh oh, you're in trouble. You know, there's, yeah, the banshee, there's, the banshee, the banshee. Thank you, not siren. Yes, yeah. But yeah, when the, I, I know. When the banshee it, it, calls, and it's like death march. So totally, and I think you gave it exactly the right weight i mean it's that's a big deal that someone in the in that space is going to die it's um i i had I was so happy watching this episode honestly mm. um it just made me smile the whole time because uh, yeah. yeah. I just felt it had so much um well here the first thirty seconds, I knew it was directed by Steve DeMarco before I even looked and remembered that it actually was directed by Steve DeMarco. And the reason I knew that was because there was some chatter, I think, in first season, Rick, about in the in the in in, in the up the upper, upper rooms echelons. at yeah. our studio with concern. And I don't think people knew I knew this, but I did know this uh, with concern that maybe Bo sometimes appeared weak, and there was concern about Bo uh. appearing weak. It's different to appear weak versus vulnerable, right? Bo can be vulnerable, totally. of course, but but mm. to appear weak, there was concern about that. And Steve DeMarco really took on that task, so um, which I loved and appreciated so much. So in that first, those first moments, you know, all the stuff with Bo kind of leaning in and going, "Come here, Dickenzie," taking off her glasses, taking the crossbow from her. None of that was scripted, you know. Mm. He and he cool. didn't tell us to do that either. He inspired it. And that's what makes a great director. Um, a way to kind of keep Bo and ke- keeping relationships, uh, keeping Bo strong in all of her relationships, you know? So I knew yeah. as soon as I saw that happening, I was like, ah, that's Steve DeMarco. Um, as you guys know, we have a great affection for him on our show. We've mentioned him several times. He was such a big part of our show. Um, but I knew that even just from watching. So it made me so happy. And right away, you can see the energy just go through the roof in the whole episode. You know, totally, totally. It yeah. has that. It has that kind of level of energy all the way through. Did he? Did yeah. he like come over and like kind of whisper in your ear or whisper in Ksenia's ear of like what to do? Because it's like, okay, give them like throw throw them a curveball here with uh, something around like you know. You know, I because I, I, I remember him doing that to Chris. Remember. I think to me, right? I think he said something to me like, "Are you going to let her just sit there in those stupid sunglasses?" Something like that. Right. I mean, yeah, I might exactly. be making that up a little bit, but it was something like that. And yeah. it makes you go, yeah, no, I'm not. You know, um, he was just really, really great and inspiring that. And I appreciated it so much because I needed a little help with that aspect of my character, particularly in the first season. Um, but yeah, I, I had so much fun watching the episode. I love, like I said, Trick's enthusiasm for La Shoshane and his spirit of the the, the festivities and making the bar feel a certain way, which I have to say, one of the other things I noticed right away was our background performers. I mean, our background performers on Lost Girl were so great. Yeah. And we had like kind of a, you know, group of regulars at the bar yeah, we did. Um, that came every time we did scenes in the doll and they were all there for, of course, for La Shoshane. And it was so great to see them and like recognize all those faces that I would see, like walking through the halls on the way to lunch, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I loved seeing those performers as well. Um, yeah, I, I just had so much fun watching it. And I think, um, I, I mean, the other thing I loved, loved, was watching you and Dyson. Mm. You know, Trick and Dyson in this episode had such a uh such a incredible such yeah. a history. Yeah. yeah. No, and I, I mean like for the audience to get the backstory about uh Luane and Aoife, I think is that the first time Aoife is mentioned? I think so. I had that yeah, I wrote that I, down too because I think that was the first time we know that I think it's the first time we know that Dyson and Trick know who Bo's mother is and know her name. Yeah. You know? And that he's That's the a blood big king. secret. 
Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the biggest reveal of all. I mean, it's, it's just, there was a lot of weight put on those scenes and just the, the respect that you and Dyson have for each other. And yeah, like you said, the sense of history and um, just the sense of importance uh, around Bo and what was to come for her and everyone around her, you know? Yeah. 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 No, and I, I what, loved it. Um, like when you, you called uh, Agalamnon, Agalam, Agal, what is it? Agalam. Agalam. I'm yeah. sure I had trouble with it on the day. Um, uh, <laughs> Agalam, you called Agalam and, uh, on them and Dyson says something and you, you react to it. It's like, it, I, it made me laugh so hard uh, just because I was like, but it was supposed, it's a big, but it's Le Shoshane. <laughs> you know, it's right. like when you, and then you realize that it's like, well, it's your life or theirs. And it's just like so heavy. It's, it's, I know, but your reaction Actually, and what I loved so about good. Oh, thank you. Well, what I loved about the, that part of the story was that I love that Bo is finally being told like, read a book, you know, like when Dyson says to her, read a book, like trick gives her some literature. Like she needs to understand the world she's in which reading can do that for people and fail alike. Um, but what I love is that she only has a, a, a slice of what she's read and she tries to use it, right? Uh, it's po- a powerful thing to call Agalam, but she has no idea of the other side of the what it means. actual consequences, yeah. It, exactly. So yeah. I love that she's taking a step and like learning and growing, but also like uh, it's like an oh shit moment for her because, you know, she's just gotten yeah. her and everyone around her in a lot of trouble. Um. Yeah. Do you, can you think on what could be your best memory of filming this episode? Did anything specific come to mind? Yeah. Yeah, actually. I mean, I mean, I I did, I loved it all. I mean, I enjoyed, I so enjoyed working, uh, you know, uh, every, every day it was such a joy to work with you and, and Ksenia. And I mean, it was always, we worked really well together, all three of us, and even on our own together in pairs. And it was always disappointing when the scene went really well and it, cause it would go so quickly and then we'd be done. They're like, okay, that's done for this scene. It's like, no, that's our, that was our only chance this week to work together, you know, or whatever. So it's like, yeah. it was always, well, it and, was if, always, and if DeMarco was directing, it went really fast. Cause it went really fast. Totally. For those listening, he would often just do one take, which, um, can frustrate some people sometimes, but the the beauty of it is that you capture an actor's first instincts, which are often the best ones, really. Totally. Totally. You know? I mean, he, and he would ask, he would say, I was like, do you want another one? I don't think you need it. And it's like, okay, don't worry about it then. Or it's like, well, let me just give it one more try, you know, or just right. let me just, let me just give it one, you know, maybe you might get something out of, out of here. Yeah. Um, and, you know, frankly, editors, when, when they ed- it goes into the editing room, they like to have options yeah. sometimes, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. They can cut. But, no, I, I, you know, it, when, when he got it, he got it. Yeah, totally. Totally. No, I know there was a, there was a look that uh, Jay, Jay Firestone told me about at one point that I did. And it was just because the camera was like not officially rolling. We weren't rolling, but the camera was on me and somebody had said something and I did a look and he ended up using that look in an episode to a response to somebody else about something completely unrelated. So actors beware, <laughs> whatever you're doing might get used. So yes. you, know, you don't have to always be on, but maybe always be a little bit in character because you never know what they're going to use. Cause I mean, it's not, they're not wasting film anymore, right? It's hard drive space. It's, it's, that's nothing compared to what, what it used to cost them to what say, oh, to we actually have to print yeah. this film and develop it and send it somewhere and have it come back for the dailies, for the director to look at and go, that's my choice, that's my choice. But nowadays, it all goes onto a hard drive, so there's no of that, or very little of that processing, I think, before they get it for their choices. So, totally. you know, it can all be used very quickly. Yeah. But my best memory is the is actually the closing scene with Dyson. Uh, um, yeah, it's because we're having incredible. we're having that drink, and uh, there was a very special moment that happened through that drink, and Chris uh, and 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 Steve uh, wanted it to be very very real, and so we we have a, a lovely nice, and it was the last scene of the night. It was the last scene of everything, and yeah. so it was a it was a a, a lovely uh, nightcap to, to, with the scene to have the, 
have a scotch. Well, it's a beautiful, beautiful scene. And you know what? It's true when you're filming. Like if that, like I didn't know it was the last scene of your night, you know, um, I wouldn't have known that. Um, I just would have known that I went, got to go home early. <laughs> That's all I would have known on that day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's nice to film scenes when you would really be filming them. Like imagine filming that scene at 7 a.m., like it just, yeah, exactly. it's weird to try to conjure up the he- the sort of weight of the day that nighttime brings, you know, and that it's so nice that you got to do it then. That's yeah, good totally. planning on their part for sure. Well, yeah. And I, I mean, it gave us, it gave us that sense of, yeah, that, you know, there was a bit of tiredness too for, for us, you know, yeah. I think in instead terms of having of that, to like really, physical, I mean, of course we can pretend, but it's yeah. nice to like to really tap feel into it. a reality thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, Lost uh, tricks, tricks layer. Uh, it's 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 timeless, for lack of a better term. Where there is no real windows. I mean, it's all it's all lighting behind behind those windows. Like that room yeah. was a self-contained room inside of a large studio. Yes. Um, but it it was my space, and like whenever we shot in my layer and in the bar, actually, because there were such. They were they were so much of Trick's world in his space. Like I would go in before, you know, I would try to get picked up a little bit early, or if possible, I would go in and just be there in that space before anything got moved in to start shooting. Like so, there would be, you know, because like once we start shooting for the for the guests at home, there would be cameras, lighting. 50 people <laughs> behind all that watching, you know, watching a rehearsal or whatever, it would empty out yeah. a little bit more as you shot. So for quiet and stuff, but, but they would all be there to watch the rehearsal. So everyone knew what was going to happen through the scene. And, but it's then filled with all these bodies and all this equipment and everything else. And like walls get moved out, stuff gets moved around. And, but before that, you know, in the first thing in the morning, tricks, Trick's bar looks like Trick's bar at at when it's closed, when it's like as if it were actually closed, even though it right. really probably never closed, I don't think. But um, and Trick's lair, you know, my space empty, and so like I would I would literally walk in my door that 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 would be my entrance for that day, and stand in the middle of my room or stand in the middle of oh. my bar and just commune with my space you know it's like that kind yeah. of spiritual connection if you will um totally to it and that's to that so space. nice i didn't know that always yeah it was i, it, I always it loved shooting in, in your lair yeah it was so yeah. personal it was so it was intimate tight. yeah and for those listening to like our studio um so tricks lair was sort of when you came in from the back entrance of our studio, it was the lair was the first set. Yep. Um, it was kind of just this covered space. And then the next beside it was the Dal Riata. And then to the right of that was Bo and Kenzie's apartment. Mm-hmm. And then beside that was the cop shop, right? The police station. Yep. And then we had some yeah. other spaces or the Bo, Bo's bedroom, which uh, it plays a lot later in Bo's bathroom, Bo and Kenzie's bathroom and things like that. It was all in that one space. I have a question for you. Mm. The, the the last scene, the scene at the end of this episode with the brothers, which we'll talk about those brothers, um, in the alley where he gets shot. That was another studio we had. That was a secondary studio for Lost Girl. What was that studio called? I can't remember. I was watching and I was like, oh, remember we'd say like, we're going over to Yadada to shoot that. It was like our secondary oh. space. What was it called? I don't, I don't know. Do I, I was there once maybe because like there was only ever once when i shot a scene and i think it was a was that episode eight you might know better than i uh, but if you remember the image but um i'm putting garbage in a garbage bin and vex comes around the corner and i think he's hurt or he's he's hiding and and he and he has to like convey some information to me and and he needs my help and he doesn't know what else to do I think that's the scene. Anyway, um, he and I have a scene kind of in, in this space. back alley, but I think it was that space. Cause yeah. And, but it, I mean, I, 
I don't remember. You know, we shot I mean, there a lot over the seasons. <laughs> I can't remember what it's called. I can't believe it. Anyway, um, I just I thought maybe you would remember. Uh, one of the one of the best memories I have in the episode. Um, well, first I have to say again, we've talked about guest stars before, but the guest stars on the show, which you know, director has input on the guest stars too, because they're going to be the ones telling this story, and they want to bring people in to tell this story. The brothers were so good. Those two guys. Yeah. Like, what are those actors doing now, I wonder? Because they brought so much to those performances and that relationship and so well cast. The father was amazing. Um, yeah. It's it's just, I just thought they were so, so good. Like every I, every actor on that show, every guest star, right down to the guy that gives the middle finger in the bar, the old guy. You know, yeah, yeah, he was, was quite so a character. Great. Lovely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Rand, I've seen Randall in other things. Uh, the guy who played right. Sean. Um mm-hmm. I've seen him in a couple other things. I haven't seen uh, Ben. I think was played Liam. Um, but yeah, and even uh, P. P. Rodney Barnes, who I who I know, um, who played the investor who gets pulled out of the place at the end or at the beginning. And he's like, "That's my money. Give me my money back. You took oh, yes. all my money." And then he's the yeah, way, yeah. he's the guy at the very end. He's a shooter. Yeah. Yeah, who shoots him? And uh, like even that, like I mean, it was like, ah, oh, awesome. He got a, like I'm so I'm so happy when somebody I know got like a little you know even anything out of the in the show. I was always really happy when somebody I knew kind of got cast because yeah. it's nothing I could have done. It's like oh no, you should really get this guy for that. It's like you know who, you know who should be playing the investor? I don't know hey, anybody. I, like, I, I played Bo and I didn't have that kind of input <laughs> either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, you know sometimes I had say of course on chemistry and stuff like that, but but really those were decisions that were made uh, above our heads uh, across the board. So um, one of the other things I loved seeing in this episode was the goblin. It was Plato. Yeah. So Plato Plato was one of our executive producers and also one of our stunt coordinators. Um, And so he played the goblin. And what's so funny about seeing him was, first of all, Plato's like the nicest man in the world. Like he's such a lovely, sweet man. And he's like this goblin behind us, which is a little bit funny to see. Um, I also really liked that fight. I thought it was really good. I feel like we did it best when we did it fast and dirty. Mm. <laughs> we did a fast, dirty fight, you know? Um, and one little thing behind the scenes for people that watched the episode in that fight, you see Bo kind of go backwards and like pop back up with this really cool move, which by the way, Anna cannot do. I can't bend <laughs> yeah. my body back like that. Um, Paul Rapovsky, who was our stunt main stunt coordinator and uh, executive producer, he was underneath me with his hand and caught ah. me and threw me back up. <laughs> so, so that was a little uh, camera magic there because it looks like I do this pretty wicked backbend and fly back up, but that was actually I was being pushed, um, yeah. which was exciting because then you feel like so capable, right? So I just I remembered that in, in watching it. I also really loved all the banter between uh, Dyson and Bo in this one. I love. Um, the stakeout, all of that kind of stuff. It felt, it felt important and fun. It was just fun to film. Yeah, no, it was all great. I mean, it was really good. No, And I mean, you know, Plato, Plato and Paul, like you said, like sweet, sweet, nice guys and always so, so game. And, and like, I mean, like you're saying the bend back and then you got, you know, he's, he's there pushing you, but you know, it's off camera. It's like the same thing as when, when Plato disappears, when, when the thing goes away. Right. And he just kind of Mm -hmm. like drifts out of frame and it's (laughs) like, it's, and it's like, and then there's a whoosh sound and it's like, he's literally just walking out of frame. Like yeah, was still walking standing backwards. <laughs> yeah. And he was right there, but it was like, yeah. but it, 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 they have such a great sense of the magic that they can create really simply. Like it's really yes. simple stuff that's going on behind the camera or under the camera or to the left of the camera. Yeah. But like, but they, but they create such a, they create the magic for the frame. And it's like, it's totally. they're so good at that. And I mean, they're so you know, good at that. I mean, for me, I, what I, what I, when I think of Paul in particular, right before doing takes where I had to do any kind of fighting, it's like, they'd be like, and often when there's a fight scene, you guys, it's the stunt team that's calling action. So they're kind of, they get the floor, you know, um, they decide they often, instead of just calling a roll sound and action, they do like a countdown, like a three, two, one action. Cause something is going to happen. That's physical. And sometimes there's, you know, it can be 
dangerous depending on what's happening, certainly for stunt performers, because they're usually doing the trickier moves. Yeah. But, um, but Paul would often say to me, okay, ready? Vicious, vicious. He'd just start saying like, just going vicious, like, you know, and I'd be like, oh yeah, vicious, vicious, because like, I'm also delivering dialogue, but when I punch someone, I want it to be vicious. So that's the word that I think of the most when I think of the lovely gentleman, <laughs> Paul and Plato. Yeah, totally. Um, no, they, they were fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, that three, two, one thing, it's hilarious. Cause it's like, you know, anything that I've done stunt wise on any show and they've always had that. Cause there's, there's so many things that go into the timing of stuff so that you can, you know, on a camera from the camera, again, from the lens and the frame angle, it's like you're doing a punch or something and it's got a cell there. Meanwhile, you know, there's a safety barrier of a couple of inches or, or something like that, where you're not actually striking the person. Yeah. Cause like, you know, you can't get punched in the face three times in an hour and then like yeah, the next like scene it's, the <laughs> next scene you've got this big bruise and it's three days before that scene like you can't have that so it's like no any little know. tiny like injuries and i use that very lightly for me luckily on the show we're always self-inflicted somehow like where <laughs> i just was overzealous um doing something uh but no we, i felt very safe and taken care of by the stunt totally. team and my stunt double who I'm hope we're hoping to have. Um, oh, great. Great. Or, yeah. Uh, so we'll be talking to her at some point. Um, most difficult or challenging part of filming this episode. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, uh, it was all so much fun. I guess the moment it was the moment when I pull out my blood kit. Mm. Cause it has such, it had such weight. Like, I mean, I, 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 I immediately, whenever, uh, like when I first got to see it, when the prop people, when Lisa, our key props put it together. We love Lisa. Yes, we do love Lisa. She was amazing. Um, and like this, it was this little, you know, like heroin kit, of like, but like, but a, you know, a knife and a, a, a needle and then the, the quill and an inkwell and a sponge and it had like somewhere between, you know, drug artifact and, and, and medical thing. And like, but it had this, it was so beautiful and so well made and this it's, it, it couldn't help. And it looked, I, it looked worn, you know, it had, yeah, it had its like own it's, history. It had been with me for thousands of years, you know, yeah. and, it, and it had this, just because it was so nicely done, it gave it 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 it, it, it imbued into me. It gave me me the feeling of the, uh, of uh, a reverence to it, you know, yeah. which gave it the way totally. And you felt that, that in the scene watching it. Yeah. yeah. Well, great. <laughs> That's good. No, but like, no, I, mean, I I did. It's a. It was. It was a something that I really I really enjoyed uh, doing that moment, but it was, it was, you know, it's like one of those more difficult things. So I think uh, from the very moment that I, that I saw that prop and started to use it, it was, um, it had that, that weight and that heaviness and, and that, that fear factor, uh, mm -hmm. of it where it's like, I know what this means. Like when I do this, this, this changes stuff and it changes stuff real bad for me too. Like, it's not yeah. like, you know, everyone's like, oh, if I could, if I could have a wish or something like that and I'd win the lottery and that would be great. And I'd just win the lottery. It's like, yeah, but what if you win the lottery, but then you, you know, there's another equal severe consequence for that win. And that's what, yeah. that's what writing in my blood meant. And so, you know, that, yeah. that's, you know, that, that's, that was, so it had that, it always had that kind of oh, thing with yeah. it. So now it, it. It played beautifully in that scene. Um, I feel like for me, the most challenging part was, uh, well, there's, there was a, there was a couple fun challenges in this one, frankly, but one was not laughing at the woman who, the actress who played the agent. Yeah. I think you can say her last name better than me, Naomi. Sinekis. Sinekis. Naomi yeah, Sinekis. Her and her, her husband, uh, Matt Bram, are very yes. funny people. 
I like. actually did a commercial with her husband, uh, oh, cool. the Nicoderm commercial that I had done before Lost Girl that was quite mm. popular at the, it was, it, it just got played a lot in Canada. And I believe that was with her husband who was hilarious also. But, um, but he, uh, sorry, she, as the agent was oh. so freaking funny. So yeah. the whole sequence and, um, the actress who played the Banshee too. I mean, she had a challenge in that scene because she, I think she had contacts in she's got a flail around because she just ate a that drank that liver shake um and then then the projectile barfing Mm -hmm. was Mm -hmm. i mean those kinds of things yeah there was a tube i remember like lisa or someone was there to push on it and those kinds of moments (laughs) those kinds of moments uh you guys can really only be done in one take because the cleanup is just just too much to try to reset so we everything has to be really set up for one take so you know, Naomi walking through the door, getting barfed on and saying her line and leaving was great. That's one take. Um, so for me, it was just, it was so challenging not to start laughing because they were so good. Um, the other thing was the, I remember the, remember when the chandelier falls in the bar, were you in that bar then? Yep. You were right. Yes. Yes. And that, I, I mean, that can only be done in one take. And then, yeah. <laughs> right. It can only be done in one take. It's obviously rigged to fall. And the table is a breakaway table, right? It's, it's meant to break. It's not, our, it's not our regular table. Otherwise, it wouldn't break, frankly. But that's all in one take. So everyone's just got to really be extra on point. Um, and then I remember filming specifically all the stuff in the bar at the end where there's the circles and they light the fire, uh, Bo lights the fire or someone lights the fire. Um, yeah, I think it was you. And that whole sequence, which is Bo talking, uh, people are, the brothers come in, the father, that whole sequence we shot from very beginning to very end, every single person's coverage. And there was a, and coverage is when you like go and get everyone's on camera, right? Everyone's mm-hmm. reactions in faraway shots and close-ups and, I remember Steve DeMarco calling out one more time in its entirety. And we'd all be like, Oh, cause it's long. Um, but yeah. everyone was so committed to doing it. That was the fastest way to shoot that kind of stuff with that many people where you have to cover them instead of trying to do it in pieces. It just meant, made more sense to get cameras on people and to go from beginning to end, beginning to end. I don't know if you remember us doing that, but that was, it was just challenging to make it feel like, okay, this is the first time again. Okay. This is the first time again, we've done this 17, 15, you know, 17, 25 times or whatever. Yeah. It's like doing the master over and over again. Cause like the master shot, it was. Um, you know, is, is the, is the running through of the whole scene with the cameras wide on everybody to get everybody's kind of to set the choreo or set the geography of the room is where everybody yeah. is. So that when, when the camera moves in and the editor is cutting to different close-ups, the audience can in their mind and knows where everybody is and, and so it's like, okay, so Bo is behind, you know, Ksenia in that moment when Randall's looking at her or whatever, right? And so, yeah, no, and it becomes very theatrical at that moment. Not theatrical yeah. in style of performance, but in this, the execution of the scene is yes. is in, in the form of theater. It's because and you're even though it's a from... Long, it makes for a long uh, process. It actually is the most conducive to good performance. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, you get everybody actually get... reacting to each other, right? You get actually yeah. everybody, everybody feeling their... Yeah, instead of a pickup, which you often do in movie making, right? You go and you just pick it up from here uh, or there, and it, it's it's. It, I mean, that's part of the skill of what we do, all of us. Yeah. But um, but it is nice, and I just remember that being a, a welcome challenge while filming that episode. Yeah, um, yeah, no, it was great. What it was worked? Great. No, so we, and what we shot. Didn't. We shot oh, a lot ahead, of. We shot. We shot almost every scene, I think, with two cameras, right? Like there was almost always. We often did that, yeah. So we had one, side one side kind of shooting like wide, the, and then the one in medium close, close on you or, and the close. Yeah. 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 So I mean, there's also that, like where you've got, you know, the camera shooting wide on say three people, a three shot, mm-hmm. and then you got the other camera in beside it or a little lower or a little higher, depending on whose POV it's operating from. But then it's it's going in and and getting everybody's close-ups of reactions. So they've got, you know, so much footage. Like that's the thing with those scenes. It's like you end up with so much footage that they have to kind of go, okay, so what's the best? Thank God for great editors. Yeah. 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 Um, Any thoughts on what worked and what didn't in this episode? 
Did anything, I mean, we've kind of covered these things in a way, but are there, is there any other pinpointed moments? What worked, what didn't? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. <laughs> I guess the, the armadillo on a platter was always a surprising image for me. Um, even... <laughs> Like right on set, it was like so realistic. It was like, what? Who eats an armadillo? But like, I mean, I guess Faye do. But, uh, but hey. it was like, it, you know, one of the waitresses carries it by in the scene. Because I think Steve probably thought it was like, oh, look at that. It's, it's, it's awesome. And it's disgusting. So let's, let's get it in a couple of times. And like, I think it was yeah. on the table, on the bar when, when uh, Kenzie's up on the bar. And it's like, you guys go. I'm just going to stuff my face. And she's eating off the food. And, and I think the armadillo thing was there as well. But it was just like, that was like one of the ones that was like, <laughs> it was like, whoa. I don't know if it worked. It worked. It worked. It totally worked. I mean, everything that they did, they built on that set worked. Um, it worked. You totally. Know. But it was like, it was kind of, the, it was one of the things that made me, it made me chuckle just because like remembering seeing it on the day was like, oh, armadillo. I don't know where you'd, what, where's the meat on an armadillo? Is that like eating no, crab? Where did you, I have do no you idea. Like, does it need a chip? <laughs> yeah. Is there, is there a dip that comes with that? Do you, do you use like, is it like pickle and mayonnaise and like, is it a tartar sauce? I don't know. One of the pickled eggs from Trick's bar. Remember those oh, jars? Yeah. Mm, oh that, my God. That, those eggs were there yeah. for like six years or Five, something. Six years. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm saying that because I disappeared and would come back after a break, but maybe they were, maybe they were replaced. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. think they were ever opened. I don't think that jar, we opened that jar at the very end. Yeah. People oh God, someone did open that jar. It, I know. What happened? But yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of anything um, else, I guess actually, you know, the chandelier falling, it was very funny. Cause like, like, again, it's like all from the perspective of like having been there and, and, and watched everything that kind of goes on with it as well. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, there's that, I'm looking down at it and Dyson's looking down at it. And I think like both of us go look up. Like, how did that fall? You know? And like at the, at the very end of that little beat, like it's, it's yeah. cause like, I think you you were right. Like, I mean, I don't think I was actually in the room when you did that stunt where the chandelier falls and like you guys yeah, exit and like it falls on the table. Yeah. I was there eating a Somewhere. sandwich at the craft table or something, but <laughs> having an armadillo <laughs> sandwich, <laughs> having an armadillo sandwich, crunchy, I, I, I. but, um, <laughs> But I wasn't, uh, I, I wasn't like in the scene. Um, yeah. and then, uh, but, but then, you know, we're all there kind of looking down at it after it's fallen and it's crushed, mm-hmm. realizing the, the weight of the fact that this is real and it's going to happen to him, whether he likes it or not. Yeah. Um, and, but I just remember like Dyson, and I timed, it was like, cause I, you know, I can't, I couldn't see him. He's, he's, he's four feet behind me and his head is like five feet above mine. And, uh, but we're both kind of like. I know. I mean, I feel like so much about this episode just worked. Um, there wasn't, I mean, I, I, I have a, I made a few notes here. Of course, I I feel like I talk about my hair a lot on this podcast, which I know (laughs) is not that interesting, but I really feel like my hair worked very well in that episode. I thought it looked quite good. Um, and then just this, like the storytelling as a whole in this episode, the weaving of the story, the weaving of the brothers, the, the, I loved that Kenzie had a, uh, you know, a storyline that was strong and you and, uh, you and Dyson also had these storylines that were very strong. 
so I thought the storytelling in general was so good. Um, and I loved, we've, we've touched on it already, but I love the weight you brought to the responsibility of being the blood King, which isn't really revealed till the very end, but certainly mm. hinted at throughout the episode. Um, I love the end with Bo. I mean, sorry, Kenzie crying on Bo's shoulder. I love that, you know, once she starts crying, they really held that shot for a long time and there was no more dialogue. Uh, yeah. but that was, the, that was the beauty and special part of that relationship is that, that she could just fall apart and no words needed to really be said. You know, yeah. she Bo was just there to kind of catch those moments for her and vice versa. Um, and then, you know, you and Dyson at the end was just a huge, wow. It's such a big reveal in our show. It was such a big reveal in the episode and just such a, a beautiful scene that you, now you've given us me included some more insight into the filming of it. Yeah. Um, it was really, yeah, no. really, and it had a, a, such a sense of importance. Yeah. No, and I feel like, I feel like that episode really had, um, we, we had all, we, we were in a groove. Like there we were was in a, a groove. groove going, we were in a groove, you know, it's like watching, um, the other episode that we talked about, uh, will mm -hmm. of the wisp, uh, will of the fae, <laughs> Where there's a will, there's a fate. It was episode will two. Is a way, yeah. Um, with the will of the wisp. Uh, you know, there was an excitement and kind of an, a newness to that episode. And yes. this episode had, had a real sense of like. Rhythm. We, we, yeah, rhythm. And we were all solid on a ground, like, and we were all on mm -hmm. the same ground. And it was like, yeah. I just felt really good that way. And I think that's yeah, why, totally. I mean, I feel like that's why I smiled through a lot of it. Like I, I, I felt Me like it, there was such a, a comfort and a familiarity and, and, uh, you know, and the stuff that I got to tell you and give you the book in that scene was really great, you know, and, and, and like, there was some really great, I like, I love Jeremy's writing. I mean, he, Me he wrote, a, he wrote a lot of the episodes where Trick played a lot, uh, in them. And, uh, I, I felt like he really he he had trick he he had trick's voice he had trick's vibe in his writing really really well um and uh and but it, but also allowed you know there were a lot of really great jokes in that scene in that episode like there were mm -hmm. you had some really killer lines of yeah. where it's it's funny but it's the seriousness of the moment and the seriousness of your reaction totally sells it, which made it funny of you going, Oh crap. You know, I'm, I put myself on the line here. Uh oh, you know, or whatever mm -hmm. the line was, but it was just hilarious. And like mine, when I give you the script or the scroll rather, and, uh, and you're like, how do I learn this language now? And I'm like, well, it also comes in English, you know, translated in English. <laughs> and I hand you the book it. and it's like beautiful. Like, I mean, it's not, it's a joke. It's funny, it's light, but it's not it's not out of character. It's not for the sake of the joke. It's 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 within the it's it's within the story, which is lovely. Yeah. Totally. Well, Rick, this has been wonderful. Will you raise a pretend glass with me? Absolutely. And I will say to the Blood King and all that you've brought to Lost Girl, to Lost Girl fans, um, and to me personally. Cheers. Cheers. And thank you, everybody, for listening. This was a really exciting one to do. We will see you on the next one. Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's Spotlight. Um, as you can see, um, I'm doing some repairs on my deck because we had some leaks. So excuse the mess in the back. Okay. You guys, on this podcast, you guys have heard me talk about the dedication and commitment of the cast and crew of Lost Girl. But if there was a prize for the most dedicated on our show, it would hands down go to today's spotlight. Not only was she the loveliest presence on set, but she was extremely committed to her job, to the actors she worked with, and to telling the story. And I'm getting emotional again, you guys. <laughs> what a surprise. <laughs> um, for an actor, props are an integral part of storytelling. And when, when you, and when you work with today's spotlight, you know that without a doubt, you are in the best hands possible. Please help me welcome Lisa Amaral. Yay! How are you? I'm well. How are you? <laughs> I'm so happy to see you. 
And I'm very happy to see you. It's been such a long time. It's been a very, very long time. But um, I have to tell you, Lisa, like everyone remembers you so fondly and so much from the show because you really were, I mean, if there was a prize, you would be getting the prize. It's not even, not even a competition. Um, So uh, I have a few questions for you. Okay. I will do my best to answer them. Thank you. Um, Please start by telling everyone what is your job and also what is a prop? Okay. Well, my job on Lost Girl was, I would, it goes by a couple of different names. It can be first assistant props. It can be key on set props, uh, assistant prop master. But basically I ran the floor for the pops department. So other people would hand me everything except the stuff that I helped build. And then I would make sure that you guys were all comfortable with it. Um, show you how anything worked if it had like a working, um, um, part to it. Um, and then just make sure that I was there handing you what you needed, fixing anything that got broken as we did a lot of fight sequences and that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, basically just really there to support you guys, right? Because, um, if you were comfortable with what I was handing you, then you didn't need to think about what you were doing with it. You could just think about your character and what you were doing in general. Yes. And I, I always remember you like just kind of swooping in saying like, this is how it works. This is how it opens. This is how the mechanism works. And then swooping out. And then it was seamless. It was just always easy. Um, Okay. Uh, What was the process for you like to get onto Lost Girl? Do you remember getting the job or how it came to you? Actually, that's kind of funny because it was the first time that I worked with Victoria Klein, who was the prop master, oh, and right. uh, we are, we're still partners now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she was working on Rookie Blue, and I had been recommended to her. So went into the office and had my interview, and I wasn't sure what was going to happen. At the end, she said, okay, you've got the job. So I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, I did everything but the pilot that you guys did. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it was great. And then I kind of just got immersed in the world and it was awesome because, um, it's a genre that I love. Um, but also because Victoria trusted me to actually build stuff. So it was the best of both worlds for me because I could tinker when things needed to be tinkered with, but I was on set and you guys were all awesome. It's, um, from the very beginning, it was like a family. And um, what I think a lot of people don't understand is when we are filming, we actually spend more time with our crew and cast than we do with our families at home. We do. Um, so um, it's always um, a pleasure when everything meshes and everyone just became a family so quickly and we, we got together so seamlessly. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. It, it is true. We do spend more time together. It has to feel like a a second family because mm-hmm. it's such a huge sacrifice to be away from your own family sure, yes. and it should feel great. Um, but I remember like we had a lot of FaceTime together, you know, you were very close to us all the time. It was, you were someone I saw every day for good portions of the day. <laughs> so I remember it so well. Um, what was the experience like doing props on Lost Girls specifically because of the nature of the material. I mean, you got to create some pretty cool artifacts and things like that. Yeah. that Well, that's kind of what I meant when I was saying that, you know, I got to build bits and pieces, Yeah, um, which was great because I enjoyed doing both. And it meant that I was, I was on set probably 90% of the time, but every once in a while I'd like squirrel, uh, squirrel, squirrel. No, let's try that again. Every <laughs> once in a while. Um, I uh, would uh, go into the prop room and like sit at the desk and fiddle and then I'd get called on walkie and I'd be back on set. Mm -hmm. Um, But my, my job really was to support you guys. And there was, there were a lot of props. So I did spend a lot of time with, uh, with you guys. I have a very specific memory, Lisa, of of having a prop that I had to like partway through the scene, had to like lower my hand and drop. And you were there. Like you were like, Mm -hmm. like a little tiny, chipmunk mm-hmm. <laughs> underneath me waiting to catch it. I remember you catching it and like rolling across the floor. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> and I think you, like, it was so insane what you were doing. And I think you actually hurt yourself doing that. Do you remember? Well, I didn't hurt myself necessarily. What happened I, is um, it was an urn and yes. you were dropping the urn 
and it was a dolly shot. So the dolly was coming in after you dropped it. And so we couldn't have like a Fernie blanket or anything there to catch it. So I kind of became the Fernie blanket. Yes. What we didn't take into account was the fact that the lid on the urn had not been stuck down. So when it dropped, I caught it and the lip caught my lip, the lid caught my lip. Yes. Um, And then it was just like, okay, Dolly's coming in. So I grabbed it and literally just did like this full roll out of the way so that the, uh, the Dolly could come in. So basically Um, guys, I dropped it on Lisa's face. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember going like, Oh oh no, I knew something happened, but we just, we just kept going. Um, And you kept going, which was, I know you just rolled, rolled and kept going. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges of your job just in general? And were there any specific challenges on Lost Girl? Um, challenges are hard because a prop person, we're kind of conditioned to whatever gets written, we have to figure out. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have to figure out the best way to make it happen for you guys as well as for the shots and what the script's calling for. Um, so. Um, a lot of it had to do with, um, as you know, we were very protective of our cast. Mm-hmm. Um, and as the seasons progressed, um, there were norms that we had set, that you guys had set as the characters. This is what my character does. This is something that my character maybe doesn't do. And uh, I remember some of the, the tiptoeing around because what a director was possibly asking you or one of the other cast members to do was something that wasn't necessarily something that your character would do. And that was something that happened between you and I a lot where it was, okay, this is, and, and you were the first to say, well, my character wouldn't do that. Uh, Which was great for us because it meant that it helped keep the continuity of, of how things ran and, and what your character was and did. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's true. And, and, um, for people listening, like we, you know, we have different directors for different episodes, um, often repeat directors who get to know the show really well, but it's really the people that are on the ground every single day, day in, day out that really get to know the characters and sort of become protective of that part of them, uh you know? So even in every aspect, so every, everyone is doing that. Um, Uh So yeah, I do. I remember, I remember conversations like that. Um, what are some of your best memories from working on Lost Girl? Um, okay. So one of the things that we joke about now, but I, I tell everybody, especially when I have to tie somebody up, um, (laughs) we joked that we earned our speed bondage badges while we were on Lost Girl, because I don't think there was an episode where we weren't tying somebody up or restraining them with something. Um, (laughs) Lots of rope, lots of chain, cuffs, um, saran wrap we used Mm -hmm. on Hale, I believe it was, the spider spider episode. Yes, and that's Um, from this season. That was from this season, yeah. So, um, yeah, there was a lot of stuff like like that. So every time I need to tie somebody up, it's okay, I've got my speed bondage badge, it's all good. (laughs) Um, And that kind of developed from directors who don't cut in between takes who, you know, it's like, okay, let's go, let's go, let's go. So we had to run in and retie, redo whatever had been undone during the scene and then rush back out. Um, Vex, when he was on the inverted table, strapped into the inverted table for them to kick, I think it was soccer balls or footballs, oh, that's right. however you, you think of them, yes. um, at his face. Um, there was... Yeah, there was a, there was a lot of that stuff. Um, so that's one of them. Um, I think the, the one that stands out with me the most is just because it was such an odd thing to be doing. And again, I believe it was from the spider episode, okay. which was Zoe, um, uh, Lauren in the Dalriata. Um, and I had to get chicken hearts. I remember. For her I, yeah. Yes. So um, that involved me getting frozen chicken hearts and then thawing them. And then I had an ice cube tray and I put a heart in each of the little (laughs) compartments. And then I literally had to inject them with fake blood because the whole point was they wanted to see the shot where the knife hit the heart 
and blood, blood came out. Right. So I would say that was probably one of the more odd things. That, Th- those uh, are moments when you just have to go like, what is my job? Like it's, it's the greatest <laughs> job, right? Like, yeah. But again, yeah. it's, it's props is one of those things where you spend a lot of time figuring how, how to make things work. Yeah. Um, because due to the camera and every, the way that everything has to happen on set, it doesn't necessarily work the way people expect it to mm-hmm. in the final product. It does. But when we're shooting, you know, we have to stop for things. We have multiple takes and all of that. So we have to work out the best way of making it easy for you guys, uh, easy for us to reset if possible, because there's always that push that, okay, we want to go again. We want to go again. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I said before, um, a lot of it is making sure that you guys are comfortable with what you're working with. So if it was something that was outside of the norm, sometimes we'd give it to you guys in advance just to give you a chance to sort of play with it. So when you got to set, you already knew the basics and you weren't worrying about that because that's always the overriding thing for us is we need to make it as simple as we can, not because you guys can't make it work, but as simple as we can. So that's not what you're worrying about, how the prop works, what you need to do with it. Um, cause that's yeah, my because job sometimes we have to make it look like we're, we know how to do it really well. Like the character yeah. knows how to do something really well. And it, yeah. it might be very new to us as the actors. So, well, so, yeah. one of the, one of the things would have been Lauren, Zoe, um, because of all the medical stuff. So quite yeah. a few times we would go and like leave stuff in her trailer, give her, uh, you know, a basic demonstration, like just leave it with her so that she could get comfortable with it because she needed to look like she knew what she was doing. And she always did. (laughs) So, you know, um, right over in my closet, Lisa, up in a little corner, I have my dagger still. Yay! That fit perfectly around my hips, that tied perfectly around my leg. Um, and the, my kids, my kids love it. it (laughs) You did. You did. So yes, I still have that dagger. Um, I have one more question for you. Okay. If somebody out there listening is interested in pursuing what you do, how would you invite, advise them to start? That's kind of a loaded question because there really isn't a lot of education out there in terms of teaching you how to be a prop person. Um, There are some universities, some colleges that have programs, um, mostly related to theater, generally speaking, although there's a lot more happening now with with schools taking on film courses. Um, If you are good at thinking outside of a box, if you are good at thinking fast on your feet and figuring stuff out, the issue with being a prop person is not that somebody can teach you how to do it because it's different every show, every scene. So you need to be open to learning new things, doing a lot of research um, and simplifying stuff. Again, not because actors aren't able to deal with complicated stuff, but as I said, we, we want to make it as simple as possible. So that's not what you're worrying about. Right. Um, So I think it takes a person who can do all of that. And yes, education is great. And there are courses out there and learning the basics is, is not a bad thing. Um, I already had theater prop experience before I started in film and television. Um, But uh, I did some uh, freebies for the film center. Volunteering is always a good, uh, a good way to do things. Um, See if you can find people who are props people who are on a show. Um, see if you can go in and shadow them um, because um, I've had that. Uh, I've had people in a fair number of times and one of two things happens. Either they look at you and they go, oh, my God, I didn't know how busy and how much work you actually do. Mm-hmm. And they decide, OK, this isn't for me. Or their eyes are just big and bright, and they just fall in love with what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that happens, you know, they go out and they find their own opportunities. Um, um, some places do apprenticeship programs or intern programs. Um, but uh, yeah, it's there, there really isn't a single route to yeah, get to. Yeah, I, I feel I like that, well, many aspects of our business, there's not one road to get mm-hmm. there. You know, um, and certainly 
your field is a lot of people come from theater and shadowing is great. And you do move around a lot. I actually have a memory now of um, you got this like step tracker, you know, like one of those things that says like 10,000 steps. And I think you had 10,000 steps by like 7.30 in the morning. (laughs) You're like, Um, I made my goal. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it wasn't outside the norm to hit like 20, 25,000. Oh yeah, Um, totally. But we were on a busy show. We were doing a lot of running around, but yeah, uh, yeah, what I would say is you have to have the drive. You have, it has to be what you want to do. Yeah. And in terms of learning, um, a lot of the departments have certain equipment that they use and they learn how to use that equipment and new equipment comes along um, and you need to learn that. So there's always a learning process. But when you're dealing with props, it's whatever the writers write, right? Yeah. So it yeah. could be, you could be on a cop show and it could be a lot of guns and uh, police belts and all of that kind of stuff, file folders. Um, on Lost Girl, it was a lot of weapons and tie me up stuff. And, uh, there's a fair amount of food too, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Um, oh yes. All yes. the gluten-free so, dairy. Yep. <laughs> yes. Yep. Well, we had to take care of you guys. Yeah. Um, but, um, that's, that's the one thing that I would stress. You are always learning. You are always delving into new stuff and you're always, your brain is always working like it's working out a puzzle. Mm-hmm. Right. The writers yeah. put a puzzle in front of you and then you have to take it apart, deconstruct it and then put it back together in a way that'll work for the DOP, will work for the director and most importantly, will work for the actors. Well, I feel very lucky today, Lisa, because if anyone out there is interested in this field, they have just learned from the best. So thank you so much for joining us today. I know everyone's going to love watching you speak. Uh, Thank you so much, everyone, for listening today to today's episode. Um, We will see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Lost Girl Rewatch podcast, which is produced by Anna Silk, Rachel Scarston, and Seth Cooperman, with theme music by our very own Blood King, Rick Howland. Please rate, review, and share the Lost Girl Rewatch podcast. This enables us to grow and to continue bringing you exciting new content every week. If you don't already, follow us on Instagram and on our YouTube channel at Lost Girl Rewatch. You can also subscribe to Patreon for exclusive bonus episodes made just for you and get early access to all of our episodes. Okay, Rick, are you ready to play this with me? Yep. I have no okay, idea what it is. You can only say one word. One word. One word. Has to be okay. the first one that comes to mind. Okay? Okay. When I say Chris, you say Tall. When I say Zoe, you say uh, funny. When I say Ksenia, you say Styling. When I say Anna, you say sweetheart. Oh, thank you. When I say Casey, you say my my brother. Because <laughs> he is I that's say, the closest person. He's 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 so totally. great. I mean, he's when such I a say Rachel, soul. you say oh boy, uh, beautiful. When I say oh my god, who am I missing? I'm missing people. I'm missing people. Um, when I say Inga, you say. Wow. Uh, uh, powerful. When I say Emmanuel, you say. Sexy, dangerous. <laughs> I love it. Sexy, dangerous. That's two words, but I'll take it. Thank you for playing, Rick. It's hyphenated. <laughs> it's hyphenated. Exactly. Hyphenated. It's all one word. It's all thank one you. That was fun. That was fun. Yeah, thank you.
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.